Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Geekish Cast is a member of the Astro Panda Productions Network. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and thank you for joining us again today. Uh, today, guys, I'm going to only read part of her credits, because if I start reading the list, I'll run up a whole hour and a half just reading that. But uh, she's from Nobility, My Roommate's an Escort, Napoleon Dynamite, Lex, Star Wars Uprising, Fallout 4, and the upcoming Burying Yasmin, Ellen Dubin. How you doing, Ellen? I'm doing great. Nice to talk to you, Jeremy. It is my pleasure entirely, um, and thank you for taking the time to do this. I know we had a few uh, false starts getting that arranged. <laughs> yes, but we're finally here. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. Um, I just want to uh, bring it up real quick because we kind of came into each other's orbit on uh, after I talked to Katie and Trish, who did My Roommates and Escort. Um, and that's where I bumped into you. And of course, as a giant nerd, I immediately recognize you from Lex and a bunch of other stuff. Um, so let's talk a little bit real quick about uh, my roommates and escort and how you got involved in that. This very interesting story. Um, first of all, I know Katie because she wears many hats. She's a multi-talented girl. Um, I hosted the Constellation Awards, which is a sci-fi award show in Toronto. And she was interviewing some of the various guests there, plus the hosts. And so basically I know her from being interviewed. She has a, an online uh, web show um, where she interviews all kinds of actors and all kinds of different people and directors. And so I knew her from that. Flash forward, I see on the Internet, on Facebook, that she is going to start production on my roommates and escort so i emailed her privately and i said katie this is the best title in the world it's going to do great who's playing the head of the escort agency so she went uh i don't have that part but i'll write it i said i'm going to play it then she said you'd be great which was really kind of cool and that's how that came about i made a joke because I figured it would have been cast by now or would have been a man so the fact that it's a businesswoman it's really intriguing, and that's sort of how the direction of how she wrote. People can watch it now. I think it's all, all over online. And uh, so that's how that My Roommates and Escort came about. And Trish and her, uh, Trish Renone and Katie Allman, they're just incredible entrepreneurial girls that really decided to take the bull by the horns and do their own thing. And, and it's, uh, I think... The project came out really well. I mean, when somebody can make something for no money and edit it that great, and it's really funny, and I think, you know, I think she has the potential to turn this into a television series. I really do. Yeah, and I've watched most of that now, and it, really, it's it's a very good show. Um, right. But the thing I think that amazed me the most is, as an American, we may not know everything that's going on in Toronto. 
because um, a lot of TV we see, I think we just assume it's from, if it's Canadian, it's from Vancouver, and we let it go at that. But there's really quite a an explosive, artistic, and uh, what would you call it, film and television community in Toronto now. Uh, definitely. I mean, obviously, there's the majors and people coming in from different studios, but I, I'm actually really intrigued when when people you know, decide to do their own thing like Katie and Trish and put this together. And I think it's a very creative and bold move to do something like this show. And I'll tell you, even though we we Canadians sort of have this sedate, friendly, nice reputation, there's a very offbeat, black, edgy sense of humor to a lot of the work, which is what I really liked about my roommates and escort. And it's not... You know, yes, it's fun to do sexy stuff, but it's sexy in a, not an overt, I guess there's some overt things said, but <laughs> it's not about, you know, everybody humping and bumping in a bedroom. It, there's a lot of interesting plot lines, and that's what I think makes the show have, and it's sort of more multi-layered. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of creative people everywhere. You know, it's not just Canada, but, but in this, in this instance, I'm really proud of these two girls. I really think it's amazing what they've done. Right. And, well, you know, and, and to your point that it's not just Canada, I've made friends with some people in Salt Lake City, Utah, who yeah. got a web got a web series made, and you're like, Utah? I, I didn't think anything artistic came out of there. So it's kind of cool in this day and age that as long as you can get your hands on a, a, a medium camera and an okay sound system, you can technically make pretty much whatever you want. Exactly. I mean, the Internet, I mean, it's sort of a double-edged sword here because mm-hmm. sometimes you're like, oh, not another web show. But you know what? It, it gives people the opportunity who can't get money from the traditional ways or who don't know, don't have a connection to a famous producer to get financing to do their own thing and put in, you know, I think Trish and Katie, it, this is under, you know, this is $100, not thousands. It was really a labor of love and everybody donated their time. And and that to me is really much more interesting than a film that already has a budget. Not that I don't like those $250 million films, but that's easier in a way than this. But I think this is kind of, I, this is a, a direction that a lot of projects are going now. Um, yeah, not only that, you can do things now with a couple thousand dollars that you couldn't do with a couple million 20 years ago. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And everybody's phone, phone takes pictures, and the, and you can get together and uh, you know film things with your friends. And a lot of people, um, beginners, get their tapes that way to submit to agents if you're an actor. And other people just want to do something creative and out of the box or people are seen a certain way and they go, no, I can do this. I'm going to show people I can do this. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities, more than there used to be for sure. Oh, absolutely. I remember I bought a book in the late 90s. It was called How to Make a Movie on a Used Car Budget. <laughs> and it, it, well, yeah, and it was, it was that post-Kevin Smith when people were starting to do like little yeah. black and white films again. And, you know, I think 90% of that $20,000 budget they were using was film. And that's that's not even a consideration now. No, yeah. not at all. Yeah, because that's the money to buy film. Yeah, exactly. And now it's all digital. Um, now, uh, I watched another series that you uh, were in that has just started on Amazon called Nobility. I watched the first episode the other night. 
Yep. First off, I want to say that that is a veritable royal family of sci-fi actors you have in that show. Yes, everybody's got their uh, fan following. I've got to tell you, when I heard this cast, I didn't even read the script and sign me up. Let's let's. Mm-hmm. So, actually, my friend Kaz Anvar, who's on this series, the Expanse. Yes. The Expanse, he got me uh, hooked up uh, with this. They were looking for a powerful female commander of the other ship, and um, I was in L.A. at the time of the reading. They had a read-through, and I went to the read-through, and the guy, uh, E.J. De La Pena, who's the creator and also in the show, the producer, had on his ringtone Lex, the theme That's from amazing. Lex. So when he saw me, Kaz didn't tell him, and when he saw me, he just went, Oh my God, Jigarata the Wicked from Lex. So I was like, oh, so this worked. And unless I was t- a terrible reader, I kind of knew that this was going to be, this was going to work out well. And it did. And listen, when they said Walter Koenig was in it, I just went, okay, fine, whatever. You know, I'll, I'll be in this. Who doesn't want to work with an icon of another era? You know, it just, that to me, I mean, I love working with all ages of actors, but I love when there's somebody who's a quote-unquote old-timer. By the way, Walter Koenig has more energy than you and I and 16-year-olds put together. I've never seen somebody so energetic and does did all his own pratfalls and physical comedy. Oh, that's amazing. No stunts. So, sorry, I had to sideline there and just to t- segue there to tell you that uh, this, even though he's a old timer quote unquote there, there was nothing old about him um but i you know to have somebody to work with like that and watch him work it just that to me is a lesson i mean anybody should sit on a set and watch somebody like him he's just he's just amazing but as you said we've had we had people from uh, Stargate, Adrian Wilkinson, Christopher Judge. Oh, Adrian was from, sorry, Izena, Warrior Princess, and Christopher Judge and Tori were from um, Stargate, and Doug Jones is from everything, and yeah. Mary Laurie from Welcome to the Dollhouse. We had a cat, and James Kyson from Heroes. We had a cast that was just utterly exceptional, exceptional. So um, it was fun to play with this incredible group of actors and, you know, you look at them and go, Oh my God, that's guys, a sci-fi icon. But you know, when you're acting, you're just, <laughs> you know, you sort of have to get rid of that. Cause you know, I'm a fan girl too. Oh, know, yeah. It's you, you get, you have to be. And I think it's kind of neat or else you get cynical and jaded. And I don't, I, if I ever become cynical and jaded, Jeremy, you can, you know, I shouldn't be working anymore. Cause I still want to have that, enthusiasm when I work with other actors. It's really important. So. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I've noticed that since I've started doing this and I've landed, I've landed what I would call some big interviews, you know, for us. And then I've met people in person and you're just talking to them like a regular person in the back of your head. It's like, I've watched you on TV for at least three <laughs> years. You know, that's yeah. still bouncing around back there. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's wonderful though. Yeah. It's nice. Nice that way. Um, well, you know, and the reason the Walter Koenig jumped out at me so much is I just interviewed Kathy Coleman, who was Holly on land of the lost. Yes, yes. And I didn't know it, but Walter Koenig actually wrote a couple episodes of that show. I didn't know that either. Yeah. My God, what a background he has. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know. Well, and he he wrote episodes for Star Trek, the animated series, and this is all stuff that I've just recently learned about him. Wow. Um, 
you know, I mean, it's cool, yeah, he's Chekhov, but then when you start to scratch the surface, he's a much more interesting guy when you get past that. Oh, yeah, is he ever? Oh. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty amazing. So, um, a little bit, of, tell me a little bit about Nobility. I mean, is that, what's the plan going for, is there more coming up? Kind of, what's the, what's the plan behind that, do you know? You know, I think you'd have to talk to E.J. De La Pena about that, but he is hoping, you know, it's, first of all, we're thrilled that it's, uh, that it launched on Amazon two days ago because, mm-hmm. you know, this has been a long haul for the producers and the actors. It's, uh, you know, it's sort of a lesson in humility and a lesson in passion and being stubborn and not giving up because a lot of times he, he was told, no, no, nobody wants sci-fi. Really? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Have you seen? And, and um, but so it's finally ended up at the right home, I think. And I think it's going to depend on, how it does, but he does have a bunch of other episodes um, written, and the Bible is already written, and some of us have been spoken to about <clears throat> possible future episodes. So, nudge, nudge, nudge. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I know nothing. I've never seen you before in my life. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it was a charming show. It is. It's um, kind of an understated humor uh, sci-fi adventure show. I, I, I guess is the only way I can think of des- to describe it. A great way to describe it. Yeah. It's, it's, all, it's got a lot of comedy. It's got a mm-hmm. lot of drama. I don't, you know, my character doesn't eh, doesn't enter the comedy realm that much in this uh, in this pilot. But uh, there's a lot of comedy surrounding it, especially Doug Jones and James Kyson's characters. There's uh, some very funny business with them. I, um, I do want to mention real quick, Doug Jones is just like that character when you meet him in person. <laughs> that is that is one of the handsiest mans I've ever handsiest men I've ever met in my life. Doug Jones, he can hug me anytime. Oh I yeah, mean, I'm not putting him down. I'm just as I soon mean, as you are near him, he's got a hold of your head or your shoulders or something. He's the sweetest, sweetest, longest, lankiest man I've ever met, and I'm a tall woman, and he's just, you know, him. He's just such a genteel, gentle soul that. You don't mind him hugging you. There's just something about Doug that just, well, there's just a lot about Doug. He's immensely talented. And if you notice in the show and people, when they when they see Nobility on Amazon, will notice that they're actually going to see Doug Jones's face. That's very rare. That is. He does often act from underneath a mask or a, a, an appliance. Yes, he's the prosthetic king. Yeah. Mr. Anne's Labyrinth Hellboy guy. So, you know, he's... He's definitely a man that's uh, incredible under the mask. You're right. The mask is the right word. But, uh, yes, he does have that very <laughs> hands-on quality. That's pretty good there. Yeah, like absolutely that. does. Well, so let me ask you this. You, I mean, you know, I, I kind of brushed briefly against your IMDb background. You're, you're a sci-fi chick. How, where, where did this love for sci-fi come from? I did not like sci-fi isn't that interesting i never i never followed it and i and i kind of regret it now because when i'm auditioning for some of the shows that have iconic backgrounds i have to sort of well that's a good thing about the internet i can do research but uh no what ended up happening was when i started my tv career after doing a lot of stage and I, i was a dancer when i first started was um these happened to be the auditions and as a tall, strong woman that doesn't quite fit every niche on television, I'm not, you know, I'm not a typical TV type. 
But the sci-fi auditions, sort of like people that are more unusual looking or more and well-trained um, actors for the stage, because a lot of the times the language in sci-fi is a little bit heightened, kind of like Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, um, it's it doesn't always make sense. So you have to, as a well-trained actor, make sense of it. So you notice that a lot of people on sci-fi shows, the Patrick Stewart's and all those types have had a, done a lot of theater um, to carry to carry the message of the writers, and also if you're under prosthetics or you're wearing these odd costumes, you have to be able to move and have a strong voice. You know, if you talk like this, it's not really going to deliver the message very well. You know, it doesn't quite work if you're playing powerful characters. So in answer to your question, I never followed sci-fi. I didn't even like it. But then I started auditioning for it, and then I started to really love it because I thought, this is great. The women's roles are fantastic. Um, the writing is great. There's many types of sci-fi from where you're, you know, where I did the show Lex, where I was a little bit more over the top villain mm -hmm. to very conversational stuff, which I did in the series, the collector, which ran on, um, chiller network in the U S and the space network in Canada and all over the world in 65 countries where it was very much like how I'm talking to you. I was a mom who may have had a son that was the son of the devil, and I was a journalist who was chasing a story about the devil. So there's many different types of of acting types, uh, acting skills within the sci-fi genre. I always sort of get upset when people go, oh, it's just sci-fi. I, I feel like saying, you try it, because I'm going to tell you, when you can deliver a great performance in the sci-fi genre, those are the people that should be nominated for, for Emmys. In television or, or um, you know, if there's a sci-fi film, it's a much different type of genre. It really is. So I fell in love with it because I love the roles and I love the fact that there was many different ways to be an actor in them depending on what the genre was within that sci-fi genre. Does that make sense? Uh, I, I think I'm following where you're headed with that, yes. Mm -hmm. um, my question then to you is kind of a follow-up to that. So when you finally developed a taste for science fiction, what was it that you connected with first? Was it something you were working on or something classic that you had seen? What was kind of the next thing you saw that you went, hey, sci-fi doesn't suck? The fan reaction, Jeremy. Oh, well, there you go. I had no clue the power of sci-fi until... After Lex aired, and this is the time of letters still, not because it was just before Facebook, mm -hmm. I would get emails, uh, sorry, not emails, uh, letters, a snail mail to my agent saying, oh, this show was so unusual. Your character, I loved how, how ballsy she was and said what she felt. And I was starting to get emails from people and even that character, Jigarata the Wicked, and how people were so happy with what I was presenting on the screen as a woman and just having so much fun and no holds barred and just falls to the walls with that character. And I got a lot of emails from women who really identified, I guess sort of like when, when uh, Lucy Lawless played Xena, she was getting all kinds of uh, warrior princess, all kinds of my friend, Adrian Wilkinson of emails later on and letters about how they felt empowered and how they didn't see a weak female, you know, cowering and being a victim. So that was kind of like, really? 
I just thought I was just having fun. And I mean, I guess I am having fun, but it was interesting to see the effect on the fans. And I think that's what the turnaround for me was when you get a letter from somebody that you affect, that's pretty amazing. It's, it sort of stops you in your tracks, Jeremy. Yeah. I, I would imagine that, um, it would be a powerful thing. I imagine. Yeah, it, yeah. it really is. It's, you never know if I affect one person, if I make them laugh, if I make them cry, if I make them think, or I, even if they, somebody thinks it's crap, I, if I affect somebody, I think I've done my job as an actor. Yeah. Well, so how did you get the acting bug in the first place, Alan? I didn't. Here we go again. Oh, well, you're full of surprises. I am. I know when most of my friends who are actors grew up, they wanted to be actors or, or whatever who are, in, who are in the field. I got into it by accident, actually. I really wanted to be a ballet dancer. And I was a very, very shy child, and I had flat feet, and I was hunched over and had a bad, bad posture. I used to cower in school, and I was bullied in school. And so my parents decided to put me in a dance class, ballet, to gain confidence, to stand up straight, to relate better to other kids. And uh, during the year, at the end of each year, the ballet class would have a recital. And when I was on stage, somehow or other, the shyness went, the fear went, I stood up straight, I was confident, I related well with the other kids, and I loved being a little ham. If the ballet was a drama... I would always do an extra swan wings, like the dying swan. Mm -hmm. I would do an extra extra two or three as a little hammy dancer. And if it was a comedy, I somehow or other had the instinct to wait for the laugh, just by instinct, and then go on to the next step. And my ballet teacher, may she rest in sort of peace, because boy, was she a tyrant. <laughs> um, but she's responsible, I think, for me being in the acting business. She said, you're not going to be dancer. You're 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 very uh, you're technically not so good, but you're a fantastic actor. You move audience and you can make them laugh. So you should go be actor. So I cried, and cried and cried. I want to be a dancer. I want to be a ballet dancer. And then I ended up growing six inches in one year, and my knees gave out. I think at about twenty years of age, and then I started doing uh, musicals and taking all kinds of other forms of dance and singing. And then one day, I'm, I'm giving you this long and short of it, sure. I, I was doing a play, a show, and I had to cry. And I couldn't cry at that moment. And it had to be cry because the father says, oh, stop crying, sweetheart, we'll be fine. And I couldn't cry. So I went home and I went, oh, my God, this is, I, I don't know how to act. I don't know what I'm doing. So I got myself into an acting class. I always knew in the back of my mind that I was relying on sheer energy and just adrenaline. But you know what? That's sometimes, that's not enough. That's not enough if you want to go further in any part of my acting business. So I started getting into an acting class, an improv class, Second City Comedy, just to get the, get sort of the, What's the word? Um, be more loose. Mm -hmm. you know, it really helps you get, you know, I recommend that to anybody, especially if they want to be an actor or a voiceover actor to just, it really helps you be spontaneous. That's the word, spontaneous. 
And uh, so I was able to, let's say I couldn't in a, in a theater show, get it up that night to cry or do something technical. I had a way of being able to go into my toolbox at, because I've studied acting and get and bring that out just in case I couldn't do it organically. So then I really started liking the acting. And again, it was the reaction of the audience on the stage. Sort of goes back to your sci-fi question. The reaction, uh, the reaction of the fans got me interested in sci-fi. The reaction of the audience got me interested, more interested in acting. And then I just started studying and taking classes and working on the stage. I did a lot of stage, and that is where it kind of separates the men from the boys, I think. Okay. Yeah. So, so you can cry on command now. <laughs> You're not going to ask me. No, no. I'm not going to ask you to do it. I'm just asking you if you can. No, it's a very good question. Um, and here's another thing I've learned. Yes, generally I can. But if I cannot, I find another way to uh, uh, elicit a response from the other actor that will work to serve the script. Yeah. Because sometimes you can't. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. You can't. And that was another thing I learned in acting class. Sometimes you can't. It doesn't always happen, even technically. You know, it doesn't always happen. But there are ways around it. And there are ways to make the scene work. So you don't look like you're squeezing or faking. It's better not to do it. Or else, or, or you know, or squeeze or force it. If you force it, the audience knows. And especially on camera. On camera... The camera sees everything. You do not have to push it. The camera comes to your eyes. On stage, not that every performance shouldn't come from a real point of emotion or a real place, but you have more of a distance to travel with your emotions. Uh, so it's a different kind of projection of your emotions. But all, again, comes from the same place. A real okay. place. Yeah. Even a crazy comedy. Even if you're falling over the furniture and acting in a farce, uh, which I used to do a lot of when I was first starting in acting, there still has to be some kind of relationship and something real going on, or the audience will tune out. I can see that. So you personally, do you prefer stage or screen acting? I prefer the best scripts and the most emotional arc in a show. Whatever, wherever my, if my character can travel, and I don't mean go to Italy or or France, I mean, travel emotionally, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a comedy, we go from A to Z or whatever, or some character I haven't played before. I, the, the advantage of stage is I'm in control. Once the director directs the play, I'm in control. And um, in film and television, unless you were Tom Cruise or something, I don't have creative control. It's, you know, it's left to the editors and, uh, you know, in, in the recording booth. There's all kinds of things involved. So I don't have creative control as to how my performance is going to look in the end. On stage, I do because I'm there live. Right. I, I, I have had many answers to that question. One I've gotten a few times is that they feel the people that I've asked that question to besides yourself have answered that stage acting is an actor's medium and film acting is a production side medium. Pretty true. Yeah, it's very accurate. Very accurate. Yeah, because you can't control. I can control what I do on set sometimes, but there's a lot of chefs, and especially in big movies. You know, there's many producers, and there's sometimes writers, and then there's a director, and 
and everybody's sort of putting their two cents. Not that that hasn't happened on the stage. Mm -hmm. It has happened. But once I'm on there, there's no director around unless he's sitting in the audience. And usually after the first opening and they may come to one more show, they disappear. And the stage manager looks after the show and makes sure, you know, you're, you're standing in the right place and saying the right lines and stuff. But once you're out there, you're in control. So that's, Jeremy, is a really good way of putting it. The other advantage to stage is you get immediate reaction to your work. Uh, film and television, again, you have to wait for the reviews or go with an audience. Or, not that you don't have to wait for reviews for the stage, and don't read those all the time, but but uh, you, don't, you don't know how you do. I mean, you have to really trust your director and, uh, you know, people on set, but, you know, you're kind of uh, flying a little bit more blindly because there's no audience reacting, no objective audience who's outside of that production. On stage, you know, different people come in every night, and uh, it's always interesting to see the reactions. So that's the biggest difference, too, which is an advantage of stage, I think. Okay. And this this is going to be kind of an interesting turn, because I'm going to try to figure out how you go from from okay. dancer to actor. So very physical medium so far. And yeah. obviously, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the guess that you've probably been cast on your looks a time or two. So a very physical type of acting, but also based on your looks, people like to look at you. Then the voice acting, how do you get there? Well, that's an excellent question. Well, thank and, you. And the reason why I'm asking that, oh, don't don't answer that phone. Yep. Oh, oh, everyone, this is a stop, stop, stop. Let me just put this sound in. See, this is live, everybody. This is live. Okay. So how I got into voice was very interesting. <laughs> Can you hear me okay? Yes, yeah, you sound fine. Yeah, it's okay. It's live. It's going. The phone's going. Um, I have a wonderful commercial agency in Los Angeles called Brady, Brandon, and Rich. And when I was doing my interview for them, the woman said, you really have a really great voice. You should go around the corner to Vox and uh, meet them. She says, I'm going to walk your stuff over there. Now, it's funny. My whole life while I was doing stage, my mother used to say to me, Ellen, you should do voice work. You have such a powerful voice. And I'm not interested. Anyway, I have absolutely learned to love the voice genre. I think it's incredible. So basically, my stuff was walked there. I went and did an interview a couple of days later. Um, and I did not have any voice reels for them to listen to. So I told them to watch my demo reels with their eyes closed. <laughs> and I think that moxie and that joke, because I said it in the interview, they said, do you have a demo? And I said, no, I never really thought of doing voice work. But they were also, the good thing about Vox is they're more interested in actors than people who do voice. And we will talk about what the difference is. And this is what's been happening with the genre. The old style announcer, the guy who announces everything, is not that in anymore. Sometimes, but not a lot, because the video games and animation demand acting performances. So my agency, Vox, is more interested in your resume. Yes, they want you to have a voice, but you have to... And you're a fan of video games, Jeremy, right? Yes, I am. You have to, when you go and do a video game, have to really have your chops together and your technique together because 
you do not get the material the night before. You get it sometimes the second you walk in the booth because they're very protective of their property and rightly so. And so if you cannot read, if you cannot pronounce big words, if you're doing sort of a Game of Thrones, Shakespearean type of game, that's one type. Um, and yes, they will tell you how to pronounce names if, if they've got their own pronunciation. And if you can't read on the spot cold and you can't drudge up emotions, cry on the spot, laugh on the spot, be a, a wench in merry old England and then be an orc within five seconds, you can't do video games. So just because you are a voice, you have a great voice, or you can do characters, that's not really going to be taken at agencies uh, at the caliber of the agency that I'm working with because they're looking at, they look at your resume. They were watching my sci-fi. They were watching different sci-fi shows when they took me because so many of the video games demand a sort of sci-fi knowledge in the acting style. And uh, so it's very interesting how I came about. They wanted me as an actor and the voice, the voice and the sound of the voice came second. And that's generally the case lately with most good voiceover agents. I call myself a voice actor. Some people say voice artist. I like to say actor, voice actor, because I have to create so much of the scenario with just my voice. And that's even more of an acting challenge. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about, because whereas I could read, I could do like, you know, a game show announcer. I could do that just yeah. fine. Yeah. <clears throat> but I, like like we were talking about being able to cry on demand, I can't make myself cry on demand. I can make somebody else cry on demand, okay. but I, I am not an actor, and I don't, you know, I don't pretend that I am. So I, I think I know the difference, but I think most people, unless they really, well, I think most people don't think of acting as a skill necessarily, which is kind no. of, kind of goofy, but. It's Jeremy, I agree. And, and one of the questions I get a lot is I want to do video games. I'm told I have a really good voice or, or I want to do animation. I can do funny voices. So then, you know, they start, oh, oh, they start giving me you know, all, the, all this stuff. And I'm saying, that's great. That's funny. But if I gave you a scene and even an animation now, if I gave you a, a two hander scene, could you act this? It's basically like doing cinema acting. Mm. And a lot of the stuff in video games, especially, it used to be a little bit more like this, but now it's very, and they, this is the word they use all the time. And even in animation now, I can't tell you how many animation auditions I have where it says conversational. They don't want you being crazy, um, you know, or unless it's a crazy, wacky character. But even, you know, if you're the mom on a, on a show, on an animation show or a father or, you know, the neighbor, a lot of times they want to, you know, hey, George, how you doing? What's going on today? It's that kind of level. And in video games, it's like you got a scene, like there's a lot of, I, I gave you an example of Game of Thrones. There's a lot of these sort of post-apocalyptic games too, you know, where you're, you know, in a bunker, or, you know, you're, there's a war and, and you know, the, you're, you're, you're I, I auditioned for one a couple months ago and it was literally it was the last piece of bread on earth and we're all you know please give me the bread it, it's like you're you really have to imagine that you're in a cave and it's all dark and, and and you're asking for your last piece of bread and it's the last piece of bread on earth and you know this is this is life and death i mean you're just so if you're doing wacky voices no audience is going to pay attention to that. And I'll tell you, the listeners of video games are incredibly sophisticated right now. They know when someone's uh, pulling their leg. They know when someone's not in it. They, they're they very um, 
They're very knowledgeable about what works and what doesn't work. And like I said, there's some stuff out there now that's really heavy, heavy material. And if you cannot deliver the drama of these of these characters, you're not going to work in video games. It's not going to happen. Uh, well, yeah. Also, there's a thing now with, like, I owned a video game store back in the 90s. So oh, wow. I, so I saw some of the earliest games that had, like, full voice overacting, and they were – you could tell they got Herbert from accounting to come in and read. I mean, you could just tell. Yeah, that's you know? funny. Yeah. yeah. And, that's what I heard, yeah. Yeah, and nowadays, you know, well, they get – you know, I mean, Patrick Stewart's read for games. You've read for games. Uh, a, a number of I, – I use this term working actor, and I never know if this is being facetious or not, but to me, a working actor is somebody like yourself who you're in Toronto, you're in L.A., you've got a voiceover gig here, a play there, a movie there, a web series here, and you're hustling to get work all the time. Yeah, you know? that's right. Thank and you. everybody I know who does that, who's in that mode, like you know, now that I've met yourself, I'll, I'm going to include you in here. Voice acting has become part of your – you know, it's been one of the arrows in the quiver now. It's something you got. You're like, hey – I've done these 10 games. I'm looking for more, but I'm still doing TV, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I, I agree. And I got to tell you, um, if someone would have said this, I, I've been doing, I've been acting for a long time, but I've been doing voiceovers, I'd say about seven years, other than a episode of Sailor Moon I did many, many years ago. Uh, there's an interesting tidbit that nobody knows. Really? Worst time that I've ever said that out loud. Yep. When it first came out. Uh, there was like, I think it was, it was done in Toronto and the producer at the time I knew him, he said, Hey, you want to do a, an episode of a show called Sailor Moon? I went, all right. Okay. What is that? Okay, sure. And I played this. All I remember is I wish I remember the name was a 14 year old Southern girl who gets possessed by the devil. <laughs> Hold on. So this is going to be sound really weird. I have a younger brother who's like all about Sailor Moon and he'll be able to answer this question. So what? I'm. I am writing this down. 14-year-old Southern girl possessed by the devil. Sailor in the Moon. original, in the original Sailor Moon season, where I'm not sure when this was. It was years ago. I mean, I was I was really young. I was a baby when I did it. But if you can tell me that, Jeremy, I would be thrilled because, I, yeah, this is the first time I've ever said this out loud. But okay. Sailor Moon is so popular; it's unbelievable. Conventions galore of Sailor Moon. Yes, so, we will. We will find this. We're Ellen. We are going to find the answer to this, and I will. I will get back to you with it later. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm talking about. I got so excited there, Jeremy. Um, what was it? Oh, we were oh. talking about uh, working as an actor and how yes. uh, voiceovers and voice acting fits into the um, umbrella of acting now. Yes. Well, I got to tell you. So I've been doing voiceovers for other than, like I said, Sailor Moon, uh, for seven years basically. So I consider it a very new genre for me. Um, I have to tell you, it's number one in my book right now. I, I'm madly in love with it. I love doing the video games are my number one favorite because as an actor, I find them immensely challenging. Um, I love narration. I just got into, started to do some, I just put together a promo reel because more women are starting to do, you know, uh, see this on NBC. I oh, love yeah. that stuff. It sends shivers up my spine listening to some of those network guys, so I really want to get more into that. And with my strong, deep voice, it seems to lend itself to that kind of genre. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm just in love with it because I do not have to worry about 
what I'm wearing, makeup, hair. I can be three. I can be 3,000. I can be a lizard. I can be a mother. I can be a barbarian. I can be a queen. I can be in any era, you know, between uh, 1200 BC and 10 billion AD. You know, it doesn't matter. And all kinds. I just find it so much fun. And the animation's fun. Uh, I, I just find it very freeing. It's one of my, it's probably my favorite thing to do right now. Really enjoy it. No, that's, that's, I think it's really cool that that's just, that that exists now. You know, that you can find work doing that to me is amazing. Yep, me too, me too. And there's also a lot um, of shows right now on television that are incorporating both animation and live action. And I, I can't say now, but it's going to air sometime in August, and you and I can sort of maybe put this up at some point. Um, I just did a recent show that's very popular with college kids um, where it's – he is – the show is a live – I'm trying to do this sort of skirt around this. Sure, sure. But it's a live-action show, and he's done – actually, this one, he's not married the two, but he's done all the characters' animation, and I play the guest star in it. And it is – Unbelievable writing. This guy is unbelievable. Oh, is that you? We'll just ignore that. It's okay. okay. Carry on. Um, <laughs> so I really, there's a lot of opportunities on TV, and I just did something last week on a major daytime show as a voiceover character. You don't see my face. So there's even opportunities on TV and film that are not necessarily animation, animation, but are live action that kind of encompass voiceovers too so it's it's very open very interesting yeah oh that's awesome um yeah so we are going to start running down on time i of course i'm gonna oh, have wow. to i got a couple questions i gotta hit but before well, i do that i'm gonna open with this question uh i'd love to have you back sometime can i keep you in my rolodex 100 percent. fantastic um so here's one i have to ask about uh so what was working on napoleon dynamite like ah <laughs> The best. The best. Now, Jeremy, mm -hmm. here we go back to the beginning. You know how I got Napoleon Dynamite? See, I never forget who gives me jobs because I'm always very grateful to the people that give me work. The guy, one of the producers, Chris Wyatt, on Napoleon Dynamite, interviewed me for a sci-fi magazine at the time called Cinescape. It was a big sci-fi magazine when they started to have hard copies of – when they were having hard copies of magazines. And flash forward, he interviewed me for Lex, a huge – Lex was very interesting door opener. Interviewed me for Lex. Flash forward, he emails me, hey, I'm doing this crazy movie called Napoleon Dynamite. Here's the script. Read it. I read it. I went, what the heck is this ridiculous nonsense? But I thought, hey, I've never been to Preston, Idaho, outside of Utah. And uh, all right, I'll go. They're going to pay me. I'm going to go to see an interesting part of the country. So I went. And I had no clue when I opened the door to John Heater's face when I played Aunt Eileen <laughs> that I would have to literally bear down and bite my tongue because I thought I would burst out laughing. I really – I think I have blood on my tongue because I literally had to – I am really good at discipline and I don't laugh once I'm working. But I have to tell you, he was the one actor – where literally when I opened the every time I opened the door to do that scene, I almost fell down with laughter. He is so funny. The look, 
his voice. Um, so I had a blast on that. I've never had more fun in my life. And I worked with Efren Ramirez, who played Pedro. He reminded me on a movie that I don't think is on my IMDb called I'm, – I can't believe I'm confessing this to you, Jeremy. But it's called – are you ready for this, Jeremy? Yes, yes. What do you got? <laughs> Tammy and the Teenage Tyrannosaurus Rex. That sounds, Tammy, that sounds outstanding. Tammy and the T-Rex. And guess whose career it started in L.A.? It started my career in film. Efren Ramirez, Denise Richards, and may he rest in peace, the marvelous Paul Walker. It was all of our first movies. No one has ever heard of it. You go look it up on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it got the worst. Oh, and the star of it is Terry Kaiser from Weekend at Bernie's. Remember that movie? Yes, I do. And I played opposite Terry Kaiser. And, that, uh, that is amazing. And, yeah, you go, go, go do that movie. Oh, so anyway, I am watching that movie this weekend. I'm telling you that right now. I think you can see it online. I think you can, Jeremy. But anyway, Napoleon Dynamite, obviously none of us knew. But when we were doing it, it was so much fun and so crazy watching all these fun people on set and Dietrich Bader and Sandy Martin and a llama. I mean, the crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and who would have known, you know, I'm still getting, I probably get a couple of emails uh, and fan, fan letters about that every week. It's yeah. still... Did, did any of you guys, I mean, did anybody know that you'd caught lightning in a bottle? Did anybody, did you suspect even for a moment that that thing was going to blow up into this huge ordeal that it was? No, no. I'm going to be honest with you, no. I just thought this is a crazy comedy. If anybody sees this, it'll be a miracle. Yeah, because, I mean, on paper, that should end up playing on Comedy Central on Sundays at 2 a.m. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, Jared and Jerusha Hess who Jared directed it and his wife, they wrote, wrote it. I, I just, I'm still, what's the word? I'm still stunned that this hit so many nerves. And I just, you know, the great thing was that everybody in Preston, Idaho contributed to that film. Every set, every piece of food that we ate, every, it was such a community effort. And again, something made for so little money that, you know, made gazillions of dollars, but also, became i mean isn't it great jeremy that i'm part of history in one of the most iconic comedies of this century i mean i didn't write that i didn't i didn't make up those words but mm -hmm. i have read critics say that that this is one of the iconic comedies of all times yes. how cool is that i mean would i ever think about that no i went because i thought this is a new director i like working with new people somebody wanted me i mean i'm not the type of actor that people call all the time and go hey we want you for our, our movie so what the hell I, I had nothing to lose and boy did this turn out to be quite <laughs> rewarding if that's not an understatement huh <laughs> yeah that's i mean it's we're, we're what 15 years later now almost or nearer to yeah. And people still watch it. People still buy the DVDs or the digital downloads. It's still playing on TV stations. It's just amazing it's, to me. And it's and it's such an odd little movie. And everybody quotes every single yes. line. Everybody knows the lines. It's just amazing to, amazing to me that they know the whole movie uh, I, I, and I don't. They'll say my lines and I'll go, oh, did I say that? <laughs> it's mm -hmm. kind of cool. See, we're still live, everybody. Yeah, it's it's quite all right. <laughs> that's how I, I'm sure that's how the guys on Star Trek feel when people come up and ask them questions about the dilithium crystals and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
But that's kind of cool. Again, we go back to the fact that it's a huge fan favorite. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so you're going to have to do this one for me. You're going to have to indulge me a little bit. Um, So you're working on a movie called called Burying Yasmeed. What is is your character's name? (laughs) Virginia. (laughs) Okay, I just had to have you say it. (laughs) And I'll tell you, that's one of the... My, the reason why I did this script, well, actually, J- Jeremy, Jason Lott is his name, sorry. Jason Lott, who produced it, and he was an actor in one of my acting classes here. Uh, he sent me the script, and when I read the line about how the guy, what the guy says to me, he says, oh, is your name? I said, no, it's Virginia without the, <laughs> anyway, you, got the, you get the picture. Yep. It just makes me laugh so hard. It's one of the funniest scripts it's sort of like and you know what i've wanted to do a comedy and it's it's hangover meets a funeral it's about a guy who goes across the desert to bury his ex-wife he wants to he's still in love with her and along the way he meets this cast of crazy characters including virginia virginia who's this sort of bohemian oversexed goddess uh, and it could be a figment of, imag- of his imagination or it could be the real thing. And I'm kind of a throwback to the 1960s. I have sort of this share kind of hair and the headband. And there's sort of a little bit of a native quality to her. And she lives in this sort of weird kind of teepee and, and just a very odd character. And I loved it. I was really and sort of very airy fairy and very into into the stars and and all kinds of weird crystals and I just thought it would be fun to play because I've been playing so many powerful commanding ladies. Mm-hmm. I want to play somebody not as in tune with herself and just be in, into another world, you know, otherworldly kind of a, a wacky woman. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and then and then my my last question and this is going to be a goofy one, but you're, you're oh. a very tall woman. You're you're five eleven, five ten. Five, ten and a half. You travel a lot. How hard is it for you to get a rental car with enough leg room? Uh, I've, I've picked, I found the good ones. Okay. And I make sure that the seat goes back. And you know what? That's not a stupid question because I now have to know where the best pants are to buy. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me about airplanes. And you know what? Now that everybody has this, you know, you can pay a little extra to get the little bit of extra leg room. Oh, yeah. If a production company is not flying me, or if they are and they put me in a, a different kind of class in the back eating porridge, I try and get, you know, the leg room, a leg room one, a little bit more leg room. But it is it is an issue. And thank you for thinking about that, Jeremy, because we don't want to be cramped, do we? No, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. that. Yeah, my wife and I are actually headed to Vancouver for a vacation in August. And are you tall? Not, not, a, not especially. I'm six foot, but still on, on airplanes, I end up with my knees and my chest and, you know, yep. the whole bit. Yep. No, I was told not to even bother getting a car in Vancouver. You can walk everywhere or I'll get you a cab is what the guy at the hotel told me. I was like, all right, oh, fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the walking's beautiful. You'll have a great time. I spent three years doing a TV series there and some movies. It's beautiful. It, Jeremy, you're going to walk and enjoy yourself. It's really cool. That's yeah. what I'm shooting for. Um, so, Ellen, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where can they look for you at? Well, my website is Ellen Dubin, www.ellendubin.com, and um, Twitter is at, at Ellen Dubin Actor. And they can IMDb me if they need to know my credits. And I 
I respond to everybody's emails. I have a special email for fans. Here it is. I'm going to spell it out. G-I-G-G-E-R-O-T-A-100-100 at AOL.com. Jigarata 100 at AOL.com. It's made, named after my first sci-fi character on Lex. So Jigarata 100 AOL.com. If you send me an email, I respond to every single email. And you can get me on Facebook, too. I just look me up, Ellen Dubin, and I will get you. I will like you. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, I, I really appreciate this. This has been a lot of fun. Jeremy, I appreciate it, too. And thank you for knowing what I've done and doing the homework. I love when somebody's aware of uh, of our work. It makes me feel really good. You know, it's funny, and I I'm, I don't want to, you know, say bad things about other people, but I do know that I have guested on other people's shows and they don't know anything about me. And I'm like, you could Google me. I do show up. A hundred percent. It's easy. That's the beauty of Google. Now you, you can just look people up, but uh, yeah, no, you've done your homework and I, you have no clue how relieved I am. And I can't wait to talk to you about a bunch of other things I have coming up, including some new video games oh, and awesome. a couple of other films. I've got a Western I'm about to shoot with Burt Reynolds in a couple of months, so we have to talk about that. Yes, so that, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Really appreciate your time. Me too. Thank you, Ellen. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Geekish Cast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zaius. Check them out at reignofzaius.net. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.